Steve, are you there? Hi, Steve. Steve. Hey, Mitch. How are you? I, I'm good. Welcome to Everyday Meeple. That's that's us, Everyday Meeple. Would you like to talk about all things Meeple? Yeah, of course, of course, I would. That's just, that's what we do here. We you hesitate. You hesitated. There. <laughs> <laughs> like, ah. I'm, I'm hesitating because I'm reading about a game that I, which I shouldn't be at this moment, but I'm reading about a game I want to talk about later. Hmm. Yeah. No meeples, though. So you know, no meeples. We talk everything meeple. Sometimes we talk about yeah. games with no meeple. I stretch. I stretch them. I even stretch what the meaning of meeple is. You know, yeah. I have. Uh, I have that Instagram. I have the East Coast meeple instagram where i started it uh just trying to do portraits of yeah. meeples uh but quickly you run out of like if the if the meeple is uh technically the wooden uh, mm-hmm. characters originally from like carcassonne yeah and then as a broader sense we've taken it to mean the wooden uh player tokens that we use in in like all games yeah and then we've taken it even broader than that, where you start uh, taking any shaped, anything that's not a wooden cube or disc anymore, right. starts being referred to as a meeple. So if somebody has sheep meeple mm-hmm. in a game that's a resource, it still gets called a meeple, right? So if it's True. a recognizable shape now of wood, mm-hmm. then, then it's a meeple. And like I started doing things on that Instagram account where I, I, I was doing little protests where I take pictures of standees and I'm like, standees are meeple too. <laughs> and like ponds, little plastic ponds. They're meeple too. Come on. Like the, the what are they called? Hallums? The, Hallums. The, they're like the wooden ponds, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so like in a game like uh, Forbidden Desert, mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but the, I, those are meeple to me too. Hmm. I, I kind of like that actually. I don't. I, don't I know wanna... it's it's uh, there's a graying lines, and I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't fight that in court or anything. But um, well, you know. it's just it's kind of nice. I think I think what you're talking about is nice. I think they this uh, idea that meeple when I think of meeple, I often think of and even though I know you're saying like people are applying sheep which are just like resources in a game and they're calling those meeple too but when i think of meeple i think of the component usually like the board game component that's going to represent me for sure board in some way right and i don't think that should just be limited to yeah like you're saying to even just wooden pieces but then it gets kind of foggy if we're referring to every wooden piece as a meeple it gets foggy but it's 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 uh i mean it is a as a word that makes sense for a shaped wooden game piece yeah you know, and I I really like the idea that a meeple would always be the piece that is representative of the player, but then you would never like ah oh, you wouldn't be able to say that oh, look at the sheep meeple in that game mm-hmm. or the cow meeple in that game or the boat meeple in some of those games. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. So it kind of I think it has to be a little more all encompassing. Sometimes. Oh, had I had I known we were going to go talk about meeple right? I didn't, game, I didn't know. I just it just as soon as I said. Uh, I have some things going off in my brain that I don't fully know uh, everything about, but there, there's a, a company that I'll often see on Instagram where they seem to put out sets of me. Oh yeah. Those are like, beautiful. Uh, maybe for like RPG games or something. They, uh, or well, they do for... upgrades for, for uh, like you can get Midgard ones and you can get right. Uh, but full, they just full do, sets. They'll do like an alien or a space oh, yeah, okay. kind of themed set and it'll just be, 
you know, wacky shapes and just really kind of, I don't know, imagine, imagination fueled <laughs> or something. I also I, didn't, this wasn't a plan. I didn't, I, you know, we no, just no, said everyday no. maple and I just uh, started talking about this. Otherwise I would look up again. Uh, there's a company in Europe that does, uh, again, they're like those ponds, the, I don't want to say halams again, but I don't, I don't know if that's the right word. We have to look that up. Mm. Uh, but they do carved ones, right? I think we've mentioned them before where they, they do actual like super carved pieces to match uh, like uh, pandemic. Oh and, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they have all the characters, but carved into the pieces. And those are really that's cool. Intense. Too. Yeah. I, I, I do love wooden component. I, the other thing I'm thinking about is the, uh, came out last year, I think Skullcalo. Oh my God! With the giant, I took a picture. Monster meeple. I put a post up today uh, because we finally played Top Secret Spies, which you'd Mm -hmm. left here, uh, which is a what 1986 Spiel the Jar winner. Oh yeah, Uh, Wolfgang Kramer, Top Secret Spies, and they have these uh, seven or eight uh, enormous wooden agents in bright colors. Yeah, I remember breaking that you move around the, the board, and I put that up on the on my Instagram today, saying you know like could could be in the running for world's biggest meeple but skull Kahlo has uh even bigger yeah they have monsters like yeah. big uh, tentacle monsters uh and, and with separate yeah. tentacles and yeah so you played top secret spies yeah we played last night but just there's like three sets of rules yeah uh, for that game so there's the the basic rules where you're just manipulating uh there's a, a the board has 10 11 12 buildings right one's a one's a church or a cathedral and uh, one's a of ruins just a burned out hus- husk of a building mm-hmm. there's a bunch of other office buildings and, and it's like a little town a little roadway around it and then there's a score track around the outside and you get uh, i think there's seven colors right and, and there's seven score markers and there's a score track that goes to like 41 i think which weird is, which is weird because uh, they were making the, they were making the spaces big enough for all seven markers to fit on, right. but it's still weird. Um, and you just there's a, a card for each color, and you shuffle them up, and you give everybody a color that they don't know. They don't tell anybody else what color they are. And so there's it's like a race, and you are betting on the one horse. Right. And on your turn, you you roll a dice. It's a d6, but the the one is actually one to three. And then it's uh, two, three, four, five, and six, and those are your your movement points that you get to spend on your turn. So you roll the dice, you get a number, and then you're allowed to move that many spaces, either all at once with one color, or you can spread it out among all the colors. And you're just right. you're just moving whatever, and you're you're trying to sort of keep to yourself what color you are, so that people won't try and screw you over. Mm-hmm. And there's a wooden safe. It gets moved around and it starts on building seven, but it, it moves around. And once one of the giant agent meeple land on the safe, everybody, every color of agent scores for what number of house they're on. And the houses start at zero, go up to 10, and then there's a minus three for the ruin. And you just add those points together and you go around and around until someone passes the finish line, which is 41. <laughs> and and then whoever has the most points win and it might not be one of the players because if you're only playing with three players there's like four uh agents that aren't aren't playing interesting yeah it's really it starts off it's it's a lot like uh 
what's that wild animal game where you oh yeah you Z- play cards and take animals Zufari uh, or something like that or no no, that's not no. It. uh wildlife safari is the one i have it's there's 12 different uh, versions of it right something. right it's a rainer kinesia game i think and uh and that game starts the same way where you it doesn't matter what you do you like right. put a card out take an animal put a card out take an animal and then about halfway through the game you can start to sort of see oh i can sort of manipulate this now and mm-hmm. i can move that around so about halfway through towards the towards the later half of the game you have an idea of how to manipulate things to to then and by the last couple rounds for me it was just like i, I was just mathing out how to how to do stuff and and how to right. finish it it's, it's not a complicated game uh, right. And M- Maisie had a great time. She started off and uh, she had this great, um, her thought was in order to not give away. The first thing I did, I went first and the first thing I moved, she went, that's not yours. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, so this is yours. Then. <laughs> and she kind of, she almost got sad. And then uh, on her turn, she moved that one and another one and then kept moving just the two the whole time so so you could never figure out which one was actually hers and at the end of the game just for fun we guessed who had what and of course by the end everybody knows but i got macy's wrong because i knew it was either (laughs) one or the other and i guessed the wrong one uh but that's the basic basic game and then there's a second set of cards that you can add in that are just weird action cards that change uh, throw in extra movements or, or mm. change a bunch of stuff around. And then there's uh, another variant that can get tacked on to either game where you are trying to figure out everybody's cards and you're trying to figure out all this stuff, sort of like Clue. And there's a right. space that's marked on the board. Uh, I think it's the 29. If, as soon as somebody passes that, everybody has to make their guesses. Huh. And you get and you get five points at the end for every one you got right. Wow. Well, I was gonna say um, this game plays up to seven, sure. and part of the reason why I was kind of not super excited. I'm, I'm always up for trying a game, but I was I was weary of this one because of a there's a social deduction element in it. But only if you play that variant. Only if you play that variant. But I was gonna say, do you imagine playing even in the way that you described with your family, if you were playing with seven? Uh, you think it would become sweaty to be trying to hide uh, who... No, it doesn't matter enough. No. It, it's a kid's game. So yeah. it really it's... doesn't... Once somebody... Like the worst thing that happens if somebody figures out who you are is that they try and move you onto the, the space that's minus three points. Right. You know, and then and then if they can get you on the minus three points and get to the safe on the same turn, you'll go down a bunch of points. Hmm. And if if they aren't able to do both of those things, then by the time it's your turn, you'll be able to move again anyway. And you won't be right. getting, you'll be on the on the low point side of the board again. Yeah. So you'll be getting three points instead of the 10 or whatever that you would have been getting. And and then you just try and figure out who they are and do it to them. Like it's hmm. it has no, there is no tension in the game at all. So right. there's no, there's no sweat uh, threats in, in yeah. that game. So yeah, I remember stumbling upon this one at a thrift store, and when I looked it up, realizing that it was a Wolf, uh, Wolfgang Kramer game, who's a he's a big name, right? Um, it's also who's... been released as Heimlich and Co., but I don't know if that is 
the new version or the old version? I think it's the old version. I think it was originally Heimlich and Co. I'm looking at it here now. But Heimlich I think it Co. won as Top Secret Spies, which oh, is maybe. the Ravensburger uh, version. Heimlich and Co. is saying 1984 and, and once Fiel de Jere in 1986. But yeah, I imagine the name changes happen different if you go to the if you go to the spiel de jar list of winners it credits it says top secret spies and ravensburger okay so interesting which happens i mean they did a a nice reskinning of it yeah you played uh a silly game that i i really that fascinates me and i i want to talk a little bit about a game that you played I played. Yeah, a game that you played. What did I play? You played the game of life. I did play the game play, of life. <laughs> you played the game of life. Right. And, and there's some fascinating uh, stuff about the game of life. Uh, like, and I, What version did you play? Um, we played the SpongeBob SquarePants version, <laughs> which uh, it's actually pretty cool. Um, my, my brother, who's a lot younger than me, 14 years younger than me, had this game growing up. Uh, because they were my brother and sister were huge spongebob fans um and it got a ton of play and it left an impression on me uh, to the point that when we had sam i was like i want to track down this spongebob squarepants life i actually found part of it at a thrift store and uh, it was all missing pieces so my mom and brother found their version which has some chewed up cards don't know if it's animal or babies doing the chewing but they sent it to us and mostly one piece minus those couple of cards and yeah it's got some play it's it's fun do you know how old the game of life is uh, from time immemorial oh, it's it's old it's 1863 oh wow did not know it was that old I was yeah gonna, i would i would have guessed 50s no so the version that 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 you know is from 1960 ish Mm-hmm. It was redone by I have a I have a note. Who's the guy that redid it? Uh, in the 1960s, uh, Ruben Klamer. I might okay. be pronouncing that wrong. Uh, he he is one of the people responsible for bringing the Australian craze of spinning a plastic hoop around your waist to America. But also he was on the, the wrong the side. Hoop? But he was on the wrong side of that. He wasn't on the hula hoop side of that. He was on the uh, what was his called? The spin-a-hoop. Oh, no. He was on the spin-a-hoop side. <laughs> so he didn't work for Whammo. He worked for, for other people. But in the in the 60s, he, he went to uh, Milton Bradley to pitch uh, something else. Wait, wait and, a second. Before, what, yeah. you, before you talk about your pitch, the, the sure. spin-a-hoop and hula-hoop are completely different things. Yeah, and it's and based off of... he successful? A, the oh, no. It's not a thing? Oh, no. Spin, well, spin, nobody knows the name spin-a-hoop. No, what I'm no. saying is hula hoop is it got, they got all of it. They got like it's yeah, it's the Kleenex of the <laughs> spin a plastic hoop around your waist game. It reminds me, we you know, watched, for kids, uh, we watched Night at the Museum the other night. I was looking for movies we could watch with our kids, and yeah. I was like, yeah, this one's this one's friendly enough. And uh, Ben Stiller's character, his whole thing, right? He's just, he's a not successful inventor trying to get his his legs under him get a job his whole thing was uh you know he tried to invent the snapper hmm. he turned the lights on like, and off, like on the clapper snapping. but yeah 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 it didn't work out for him uh, what's, hoop. <laughs> what's the uh what's the uh, coen brother movie hudsucker proxy 
is is all about a company that basically is is thriving off the guy invents the hula hoop but but they never mention it he just he draws a circle on the paper and is like you know for kids <laughs> and that's that's like the one of the running gags the whole way through the movie it's great but any, anyway yeah yes so I got you off the the one that we know is is was birthed again in 1960 and that was a hundred years after milton bradley first did uh, the game of life Wow. And a uh, hundred years before that, in 1863, <laughs> he did, the... he, it was originally called the checkered game of life. Okay. Right? Okay. So uh, the way it works, he was, uh, he bought himself like a lithograph. A lot of early uh, board game manufacturers were just printers. Right. And so he bought uh, a lithograph machine and was uh, printing like pictures of Lincoln. And uh, I've been reading, I read, uh, I have this problem where I read uh, board game histories really dull. I mean, they're not dull. I love them. Uh, yeah. But I've been reading the book uh, by Tristan Donovan, Solid Game. And uh, there's another one by Kirsten Anderson. Uh, that's a great, easy read about who was Milton Bradley. Oh, cool. And, and he's like a superhero of, of American board game history. Right. He's great. He was raised a super Christian uh, town in like, newark or something i'm not I, I probably have notes on that too and but i i don't i don't follow notes anyway uh 1860s things weren't going well his buddy george brought him over this game called mansions of happiness oh and mansions of happiness was considered uh the first commercially produced game in the u.s and that really? was in in 1843, and it's it's from the 1800s in Europe, and it's based off of a game from Italy that's been around since the 16th century. Wow. Okay, so the 16th century Italian game is a game called Game of the Goose, I think is okay. what it's called, and it's a spiral, and you roll dice, and you moved along a spiral into the center, and depending on what square you land on, you either had to move back or move forward and right. silly things. And it was such a popular game. Template uh, for a lot of games. Well, I don't know if it was the birth of that. I mean, it's just, this right. was one of the games. Uh, but it was used as a gambling uh, game and all sorts of things. But then this uh, Mansions of Happiness was sort of taken over by, uh, I, don't, I don't know what the right word is, Christian morality folk. And it, it became a game uh, to seriously sort of teach Christian morals. And for one, they ditched the dice because dice are evil. Because uh, one, of the, one of the books I'm reading, they put a thing uh, saying that dice is a, is a gateway game or something. Oh, okay. <laughs> Can lead to, uh, that's how it was considered. It was hilarious. Uh, but they, they, so they used a, the teetotem is what it's called. It's just a spinner. But it's a not spinner, a spinner that's yeah. flat and attached to anything. It's like a top, like a dreidel. A dreidel right. is a, a form of teetotem. Um, so it had a spinner, which is ridiculous to me because that's the same outcome as a dice. Yeah. Like there's no, if the devil is controlling the dice, it's, it's the same <laughs> randomness as spinning a spinner. But yeah. whatever. So they, they took this game. They put uh, spaces uh, that were good and bad and good spaces lent led to better spaces and bad spaces mm. but it was it was also brutal like if you <laughs> if you did something bad the punishment on the board was was brutal like you ended up in the stocks or you ended up getting mm. whipped or like these, these heavy things and this idea of morality has been around 
forever, but not necessarily connected. Snakes and Ladders uh, goes back to, well, I have a note on that somewhere too, uh, like the second century or something, like AD right. in India. It was called... Uh, oh, yeah, I remember we, we, about we talked this about this before. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember what it's called, but it was originally it's like a morality. Game it was a right? it was a game that taught about uh, karmic values in life, where uh, doing things led to better things, and doing bad things led to uh, basically reincarnation and starting over. Right. And uh, and on the original board, there were more snakes than there were ladders to sort of emphasize that it was harder to be good mm. uh, for humans. And it was it it was heavy on luck. Be- well, it was all luck because yeah. it was it was a way to sort of teach about destiny right you had no real control over it sure where at the same time there was games like parcheesi in, in india at the same time where it had uh, dice but it had uh, some skill involved which sort of had uh, free will right? right so it was similar games stuff was going on but you always moved around and there was mm-hmm. no that was it um but Snakes and Ladders didn't hit until 1892. Mm-hmm. Like, it wasn't really big in England until 1892. So before Snakes and Ladders, uh, I was just tying that in with morality stuff, right? There was right, right, these yeah. really heavy morality games. Yeah. Um, so Mansions of Happiness, uh, George plays with <clears throat> Milton Bradley. And Milton Bradley, I think he's like 20. Uh, right. He figures, I could do this. I could fix this. And he lives in the same community that is against dice and is against gaming. And, right. But he had fun playing this game and he thought, you know, maybe I can do this too. So he created, and supposedly, according to one book I'm reading, he did it in a week. He developed oh, wow. the checkered game of life in a week and then printed a hundred copies and went and sold them in New York and sold them all in two days. But the checkered game of life is 64 squares. It's like a checkerboard. There's yeah. red and white squares. The red squares are blank. The white squares have things that happen in life and, and there, there'll be moral values and negative things. And you move uh, from square to square, not by rolling dice, by spinning a spinner. I mean, this is right. not, it's not a sinful game. Um, and he had really interesting concepts where things like uh, there's a poverty space. And I guess he, he wrote it in the rules to say that uh, poverty doesn't lead to another square. It doesn't lead to positive or negative. Like, People can be poor and go either way. It's it's not something that hmm. is is definitely going to affect your life one way or the other. And then he has uh, the the classics. You know, like you do a good thing, yeah. you go up, and if you do a bad thing, you go down. And here's here's the whole point of all of it. Uh, snakes and ladders. You go in a line. You move a thing. You might luck into going higher. You might luck into sliding down the snake. Yeah. Uh, which Milton Bradley, uh, they released that uh, years later as shoots and ladders with, yeah. with most of the morality wiped off. And they even got rid of the snakes because snakes are scary and they made it a kid's game and they put slides in <clears throat> years later. Uh, he didn't see it uh, when he made this. The big thing that he did was he gave you uh, agency. You could, you could move whichever way you wanted. So it's a checkerboard square and there's sort of like points, but you're not getting points. It's just a race to see who could get to that last square first. And there were some movement rules where like if you rolled a one, you could go up or down kind of thing. And if you were, if you were close to the edges, I think you didn't have a choice. You had to follow an arrow sort of thing. But if you rolled 
you know, a three or four, you could decide to go backwards or down or up to try and get where you wanted to go right. on the game, which is, I mean, it's the 1800s, all games that I know of so far, you went in a straight, you kept going. Right. You didn't, you'd roll, if you landed on space, it might push you backwards. Yeah. But you couldn't decide to go backwards. Hmm. So that seemed really interesting to me. I'm probably yeah. really overstating it. The, the super interesting part is probably uh, how games used to be uh, super moral yeah. and the way they tried to overlay this. And then he came up with this game that he didn't sell. He, he pitched it as sort of a Sunday uh, morality lesson, right. but he didn't, he didn't sell it back to the community. He, moved, he went to New York to sell it uh, to, to people. And, and in the first two years, he sold 40,000 copies. That's crazy. And then in 1960, well, by the end of the 1800s, it, it, whenever Parker Brothers started pushing games, uh-huh. their, their games were all modern life and just having a good time. Right. And so uh, this morality thing, that was the end of it, right? So uh, Game of Life disappeared until uh, Claimer redid it in the 60s. He found that game in the archives and then spent a while rebuilding it and then pitched right. it back to Milton Bradley and, and that game exploded. And uh, I don't know how many different versions there are. It got inducted into the uh, toy hall of fame in like 2010. And yeah. they're <laughs> apparently according to, I don't know if it was a Wikipedia page or one of these books I've been reading. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm not reading my notes now. I'm just like, ah, whatever. It's too late. <laughs> uh, it's best selling uh, month was in 2014. Really? So uh, it's, it hasn't Why? died off. I don't know. And, they've, and they kept trying to retool it. In like 2014, was it 2014? I can't remember what year. They tried to retool it. Uh, they tried to get rid of the money. Like in, yeah. in, in the game of life, you're just trying to, whoever has the most money wins. Oh, yeah, and they, money, and they, money grab. They tried to get rid of it. They did a, a play test uh, with a new version that you, you won life points. And hmm. people hated it apparently all their play testers didn't like it. And I guess they've worked it into some versions where if you do certain things, you win uh, life points that do other stuff, but it's still money. And, uh, right. but yeah, they keep trying to tinker with the rules a little bit here and there and it's still going. I hear there's an Indiana Jones version and I'd love to play that one. It is kind of fascinating. I'm, I'm curious. I mean, to, to kind of remove the money and, and bring back life points. Cause um there are life tiles, right? For yeah, just that, things. Well, that's that's them. That's the yeah. life tiles. That's and what they are. Now. I think essentially what they ended up in in most versions of the game, they just equate to money. They're, they're worth a hundred dollars mm-hmm. or something each, right? Yeah, you do a thing, you get that's a worth a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, but it's kind of interesting with this with the origins and morality that if you could remove the money, because this was my issue playing this game with my kids too, it was just like, yep, you get to the retirement, and and whoever's got the most money. That that's your basis for success in life. Um, you know, yeah, not the best message to be sending your kids. So if you could remove it with just like experiencing life, but I get it. We live in a capitalist world where people aren't really going to find that fun, but it'd be interesting to come full circle and, and remove that element. And it would just be about going through life and things happening and you acquiring experiences and whoever has the most experiences that, at the end. I think that's the, the sort of the distinction between uh, mass market games and hobby games, right? Right. So mass market games, that game has been around for 150 plus years. And that, well, that particular game since the 1960s in that style. 
And that's what people want from that. I read an article uh, just last week where somebody wrote an opinion piece, and I can't remember who or in what, uh, but oh, their God. their headline was uh, "Board Games Suck and Here's Why." Yeah, yeah. And it was just it was just this guy trying to play Monopoly and 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 being frustrated, you know, like yeah. Here here's a person who doesn't know that games exist and is playing the same games with the same people the wrong way and getting frustrated with it and, and then writing an article and pushing that out in the world instead of, uh, you know, doing some research and, and finding a new game. (laughs) Well, you know what? It's a good point that you bring this up that, um, because I almost talked about this on a previous episode and I didn't, but it kind of ties in. It, it, It points to how small the hobby game market actually is. I mean, it feels huge to us when we're in it, right? Because and it is it's big you know bigger and bigger every day bigger and bigger every day for sure but nowhere near as big as the mass market kind of number of units monopoly has sold yeah. for example the the number of units monopoly sells in a in a year like in its early years in its in its infancy whenever it first uh came on whenever they were still going with so and so created this game even yeah. before the lawsuits it sold like 2 million copies in like the first years or something in yeah, the first like fun, three, four bonkers. years. And, and like that, that was done. the depression era. Like it was yeah. like 1940, 1960, maybe no, it was, yeah. or maybe I probably, uh, because Parker brothers came in. What did I say? I said it earlier. Uh, Parker brothers came in towards the end of 1880s and then 19. So yeah, it was, it was like 1930, 1940. Right. I could probably yeah. look that up and find out I'm wrong. I read a whole monopoly history i read two of them just this well, last sorry, you, few months you can't you can't keep it all in there right but what i was what i was going to say was um when i was a few episodes ago looking for some research about losing games we were talking about that for a bit uh, i stumbled upon this research and it's, it's fairly recent but it points to the success of the mass market and monopoly in particular because um who 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 was it it's a paper called the frustration of learning monopoly and it was basically, I'm trying to make sure I get this right. I think it's MIT. Where's the, where's the, the big game school? Um, I don't think I've, I've wrote it down. And we'll come back to it another time. But I think it's MIT. But basically, you know, the, um, is Monopoly Parker Brothers, right? Yep. Yeah. Hired the university in this game as section um, faculty or whatever. Can you please research Monopoly and find out why it's frustrating for people and how can we make it less frustrating so the whole they did a whole study basically getting play testers in uh with like their brain hooked up Uh, no it wasn't even brain they had little bracelets on that was measuring their uh how much they were sweating (laughs) uh, which they were using to measure kind of frustrations and stress stress levels and they were monitoring uh basically a mother teaching her kids uh, i think they were like you know, nine, 10 and 12 or something like that, how to play Monopoly. Uh, and they were monitoring her, her perspiration levels from another room as she read the rule book and tried to explain the rules to her kids. And they just wanted that feedback to see how they could make the rule book better. And um, yeah, it's just, it, it's, it's kind of bonkers. And that, yeah, someone who could, who could write an article still today by having that experience, by picking up a rule book, maybe, and like so many people uh, do, um, not reading the rule book, 
just start trying to start to play and maybe skipping a page in the rule book and then getting completely frustrated and then maybe having kids around the table and they get into a fight and like what is this flip the table <laughs> like a whole I, thing but it's 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 all based around this kind of mass market in this one one game in particular often monopoly uh, is is uh, one of the m- most interesting games in the mass market stuff for its massive long history that there's it's such a deep history that uh i thought i knew the history growing up because because i've been interested in it because i've played the game finance because there's uh a connection between the landlord's game and finance and all these all this stuff that i thought i had figured out and then i just recently read uh, a history of of monopoly that blew my mind like it was one it was so so well written it was the most interesting board game history that i've read and and two that there was so much more under the skin and i don't want to get into it now i think we should have a mass market conversation sometime or a monopoly conversation Uh, but one of the things right for what you're talking about is that from the landlord's game and i don't have the dates from when uh when and i can't remember her name uh first started working on the landlord's game up until uh parker brothers published monopoly there were no rules right right it was all uh passed on word of mouth right and so it was it was all uh it was all house rules it was all slightly changed as it went along and whenever uh and i can't remember the guy's name that pitched it to parker brothers as his own creation Hmm. uh he had gotten what in his process of stealing the game uh, got his friends who taught him the game to write the rules out for him. And they were like, what, what do you mean? Write the rules out for you? That's that's weird. So they wrote the rules out and he pitched that to Monopoly as his own creation. But it's it's even more story than that. Like, oh my God, yeah, what, yeah. A, what a bad guy. But he was just trying to feed his family during the Depression. Sure. There's weird stuff going on. Uh, and, and then it was such a thing that when Parker Brothers put out Monopoly for the first years people were writing angry letters in to say how can you not know the rules to your own stupid game you jerks because they've been playing it for years and these weren't the rules they've been playing with right. and the, and that has persisted with monopoly sure yeah till now like people we talked about it in our house rules episode how, yeah how true we all just kind of naturally play by our own rules with that game even though there is a written rule book and that and that leads to a, a really interesting thing of uh, the culture of board games and and the art and culture of board games where so many board games are uh, passed on that way. Yeah, yeah. You know, so many board games, uh, so many people get games that they've played with other people and just keep playing it the way they learned. And like, I know we've mentioned this several times because it comes up where, who's it, Ignacy Trevicek said yeah. if you if you want to instead of buying an expansion just go back and read the rules again yeah, exactly. and you'll and you'll find one or two things you've been doing wrong anyway and you'll be like oh a new game yeah um, so yeah, that's but... that's a funny thing and monopoly like just it always comes up everybody's always like oh, i hate that game so much and i'm i'm one of them i don't play it anymore uh i played i after reading this book i wanted to play it again because i had so much going on in my head right. uh, for all the references going on it that were fascinating to me so i do want to play it again but it's yeah it's such a weird touchstone mm. <laughs> for so many things and it, 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 it will always keep coming up katam will always keep coming up monopoly will always keep coming up yeah uh, it's weird and and game of life which i will go back to for a second because uh, as you were talking about it i was thinking 
the game of life is is one of the first games that I remember having like a real fun immersive experience with. Can you go backwards in the in the new version of Game of Life? I don't think so. No, I don't even. Yeah, I don't think so at all. That's that's because it's it's all. Yeah, because it's all about the forward path, right? Like mm-hmm. you choose right away if you're going to college or if you're going to not go to college. And what what I remember loving, and it's fitting we started off talking about meeples. What every kid loved about the game of life when I was growing up playing was the little people, the little meeple that you put in the cars. And then you that, had little babies and you put those in the cars too. That's a big thing from, uh, what's his name's pitch, right? Hula hoop guy, Claimer. Oh, okay. Ruben Claimer. So spin a hoop guy. Uh, had been working with plastics, so part of his big thing was was uh, pitching the game. Was those molds, right? Yeah. There's like landscape molds and like yeah, they they all get clipped into the and board. Yeah, it, he really turned the uh, the game into a toy, and and like that that's got to be one of the earliest games that have set pieces and sort of mini stuff going on. Yeah, but you know when we talk about Meeple being this kind of character that represents you on the board, the game of life was the first time that that really felt like it because Monopoly sure I, I always pick the little Scotty dog or whatever but I'm not a Scotty dog I'm not an iron I'm not a boot um a boot or a boot I'm, I'm not a boot but um in the game of life you were these people in in a car and it was it was really interesting so playing Spongebob version with my kids um it was really cool to watch violet play this game so violet is four she's just about to turn five and she's getting more interested in games sam's been seemingly interested in them a lot longer but she's coming around and she had never actually sat down and played the game of life um by the rules and we all sat down and we played it and just and we didn't explain explain it to her which i regret in hindsight because she was just figuring it out as we were going but she was so engaged so right away we were like all right violet you got to choose are you going to go to college you may you may be able to get a a better paying job which you know doctor all the way i think that's how you win that game but if you don't you you get started early you might be able to retire early or whatever it's kind of weird that that they give you that, that decision but she was just like huh college and then when you get to choose your job she's just like oh because spongebob's like the art's so cool right i'm gonna be a mailman which is this little fish mailman or a fry cook which is spongebob being a fry cook and she's like oh i want to be the mailman i think even though maybe it paid less but she liked the look of that and then in spongebob you get to adopt a pet so you get to a spot where you have to stop and you get to go through these you get two pet cards and you get to choose a pet and she was just like every now and again i can see this look in her face of like oh my God, this is amazing that I'm getting to put this little tableau of cards, my job, my pet, my house. Um, These are the soft rewards that you love so much. The what? The soft rewards. Oh, totally. She was just into it. And even the life tiles, when you landed on a a life, which has the the life game of life logo still in the SpongeBob game, when you land on those, you, you flip a life card. And just a weird thing happens. It'll be like, oh, you went and leaf blowed Sandy's garden or whatever. Um, but Violet was loving flipping those and seeing what little thing you would do in Bikini Bottom. And yeah, just I could just tell it was it blew her mind. Um, and they've played a couple times since. That was the only one that I was in on. Um, but it was really neat. And yeah, the staples have stayed, even though the meeples are replaced with obviously SpongeBob characters. You're not driving around in the car. You're not having kids. Um, 
but all the plastic molds of you know Squidward's house and SpongeBob's house all get clipped into the board, and it it does create this toy experience. Sam has sat up with that board and mashed it up with a bunch of other games just because the board's really pretty and it has lots of components. The game of life, yeah, not my favorite game. Still feels oh. just like a like you were talking about. Um, well, all these games that we're talking about, there's no. There's no decision making. You're just kind of spinning the spinner and seeing what happens. Yeah. But, that's uh, a, that's why we like hobby games. Yeah. Hobby games. Hobby Speaking games. Speaking of hobby games. Not not to be confused with Habba games, which kind of <laughs> goes crosses the border. Habba Habba's got a foot in each world. True. Um have it was been a, it's been a slow week. That might for be me. a mean thing to say. No, I don't think so. Maybe, uh, they have some of the biggest chunky meeples. <laughs> <laughs> they certainly do. Animal upon animal, another favorite in this house yeah. sometimes. Um, I haven't played a whole lot this week, but something I'm really excited about that you turned me on to a couple weeks ago, um, which I'm hoping I'm going to be able to take part in because I am leaving uh, town next weekend. But I'm hoping I can still take part in it in some way, is the renegade games are having a little convention oh, yeah. digital convention uh and you know some panels and some um interviews i think maybe some game demos but uh, the thing i am most interested in is the kids on bikes right panel, yeah, which yeah. i think uh, i forget who but it's going to walk you through kind of there's starting, two people in that one starting a game uh getting it going how, how the rules work i've read the the rule book i bought the pdf of kids on bikes last year because i was hoping to start it at school with a group um and never just never worked out this year for some reason um part of which is why we're all still kind of semi-trapped in our homes but um i'm really excited to i i need a refresher and i need to see it in action because i have some good ideas for that game i was recently because uh, i've gotten a little more free time on my hands just with the way work has worked out for me uh the past little while so i've been reading a lot of comics lately because i have a huge comic pile that i uh i just let build and build and i'm like oh my god i'm a year behind on some of my favorite comics so i finally finished that comic book paper girls which i have talked to you about before um it's a kid i'm gonna use quotes here it's a kids on bikes story like stranger things like like the the tabletop RPG is designed. And what I'm talking about here, when I'm talking about kids on bikes, it's a, a Renegade Games RPG. Um, you know, by Jonathan Gilmore. By Jonathan Gilmore. Uh, in the vein of Dungeons and Dragons, but not really. It's a totally different game system. But, you know, where you sit around the table with pen and paper and create characters and, and have a little role-playing experience. They have uh, a, a magic one now, too, with a something on brooms. Yeah, kids on brooms, I think. Kids, kids on brooms. Which is the wizard version. But it's not a board game, I guess is what I'm, what I'm trying to say. But this this comic book, Paper Girls, is super awesome. Highly recommend it to everyone. I'm not going to spoil anything here. Um, it's by Brian K. Vaughn, one of my favorite comic book writers. And it's set in the 80s, like 1988. And these four girls are paper girls, um, where they deliver the newspaper at like 5 a.m. in the morning. And, you know, in the first issue, they all hook up and, and go deliver they're newspapers it's the night after halloween so it's extra creepy and there's lots of older dudes around who are like give me your candy and it's it's really scary and 
really quickly just some weird stuff starts starts happening in that first issue this guy turns pink i think they see a dinosaur flying in the air or something like that but they meet some quirky characters and uh a really kind of cool thing happens where they find something on the ground that basically looks like a an ipod like nano it has the apple symbol on it so there's just this, and that's the kind of hook uh, and i always imagined that i would love to host a run at a kids on bikes game with this story in mind and basically have the comics with me and just be like flipping through the comics behind my dm screen and just making sure i hit some of those cool story beats and cool hooks like for example like at the end i'm, I'm gonna try it with teenagers i'm not gonna try it with you guys but maybe at the end of a first session or something um doing that exact thing with like an ipad nano where you are in the 80s and you know this, this is what <laughs> what's a nano like. well yeah no kids won't even know what that is now but you know i could and why is it in the 80s <laughs> <laughs> but you know if you explain to a group that you know hey this is what the 80s were like you would have had a walkman show them a walkman here's what people were listening <laughs> to music oh it's a history class nice <laughs> I mean, anthropology <laughs> but then at some point at the end of maybe like a first session uh being like you guys find like an iPhone on the ground. You could like, you could bring them, them in one of the one of the small nanos and be like, you find this. Yeah, exactly. And like and throw like, them. Whoa! Uh, throw them the nano. What is this? Believe it or not, it's just ten years old. But yeah, anyways, that's something to look forward to. On the on the comic book uh, tie-in, uh, cool mini or not, is kickstarting a line of comic books tied to uh, a lot of their games, like really? Zomb- Zombicide and stuff like that. There's like. Huh four or five different games that they're launching uh, comics on. Wow. That's interesting. It is, isn't it? Also, uh, you were talking about the Renegade uh, online convention and Board Game Geek is doing one now too. Saw that. With the Dice Tower. Oh. They're teaming up and they're doing one uh, that's June 24th to 28th. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, there's a bunch of digital cons happening. And and my most exciting thing uh, for news: a tiny epic pirates. Oh yeah, I saw that. That's cool. And yeah. and and a new boss monster. I overlords. Yeah, Overworld. I, Overlord. Not, not much information on that one. No, it's going to be like not in the dungeon, and it's a it's a tile drafting and tile placement uh, yeah. to build an overworld. Yeah. So map building maybe. Yeah, I'm interested in that. That's kind of a cool idea. I wonder will they try to tie to tie the two games together when you know you build a map, maybe you go into a dungeon. Probably not, but um, probably not because they're both stationary. Yeah, you're you're just building a. I guess Boss Monster place. must do okay. Um, as a as well, they a have game. they had a new uh, big expansion for it just just recently. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It, that is one of the first you know out of the first ten or twelve games that. I bought getting into the hobby that that was one of them had a lot of fun with it, but it it hasn't got a whole lot of play since the collection has grown. But uh, yeah, I am interested in that as well. I was really fascinated because, or what I'm not really fascinated, but I'm really intrigued and interested. Uh, Andrew Bosley has been teasing. I got his newsletter the other day. Of course I'm plugging Andrew Bosley won that sweet little goat drawing that he, that he sent me and he's done another couple or he's done another contest like that where he's just doing these little mini sketches and i think the idea is he is these mini sketches are i think tying into a a project that's coming um that he hasn't announced yet 
but he did announce the other day that there's a game coming to Kickstarter next week, I think, or maybe the week after, um, called Merchants of the Dark Road. Have you seen this one? Yeah, the art is amazing. The cover art on that is mind-boggling. The, I mentioned, yeah. I, I think we, I mentioned it a few episodes ago when we were talking about artists again. And, and I hadn't known what you were talking about, I think. And I, I just, just the cover, because I didn't know anything else. It was the day that he had uh, put the cover out on instagram right and i and i had just said oh my god like it's so beautiful he's so beautiful yeah i I love his art like i'm pretty much so i don't know anything about the game i so i looked into the bits it's it's being published by elf creek games and if you go to like their instagram they've got a bunch of art posted from this game because it's getting close to kickstarter and yeah the art looks amazing um it looks like you're well, that you're merchants of the dark roads that are traveling between cities. Um, it has like a rondelle mechanism, worker placement, using dice for workers. Um, I don't know who gave it the rating on Board Game Geek because um, it doesn't seem like anyone's played it yet, but maybe the if the publisher put it there, that they, they're putting it at about a 3.5 out of 5, which means it's, you know, mid to heavy. Um, but yeah, the art alone, it, it looks really cool. I'm, I'm looking forward to checking out that Kickstarter when it when it drops there pretty soon it's funny elk creek just came up for uh daryl andrews uh we played uh creatures and cupcakes this week which is a game which is a game you guys should have because Mm -hmm. because violet would love that game i think she's i think she's played for like a long time with macy one day or something uh but which is a push your luck game macy loves push your luck games Uh, melissa found it at uh the board game uh the boardroom cafe in halifax oh, yeah. one time when yeah. we were down there so we bought that there and it's a game where you have uh, four colored tracks with uh you have a, a monster meeple in each of the four colored tracks and you reach into a bag and you pull out colored cupcakes and right. and you keep pulling out colored cupcakes and each colored cupcake will move uh one of your monsters along one of the colored tracks but if you pull out two of the same color in a row You've overfed your monster, it barfs, and and your turn's over, and you get to do nothing. But you get a potion for the next time for that color, and the next time you pull out two of the same color, you can spend a potion to put one back in the bag, and then keep going if you want. It's awesome. It basically you, sounds like the kid's version of Quacks of Quedlinburg, where you, yeah, you, it's know, a, you push your luck until something either you do super, well or something explodes in your face. Super easy game, and I can't wait to buy Quacks of Quedlinburg because... It's, that's Macy's favorite style of game right now. Right. Uh, but the game, and I didn't know, uh, I never looked into it. It was just a goofy kids game that we had, uh, has a great pedigree. It is Adrian Adamaski, which I don't know how I'm saying right, and Daryl Andrews. Uh, the one fella is the fella behind Sagrada. Oh, yeah. And uh, Daryl Andrews has like, a, 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 I don't know, a rap sheet. Board game rap sheet as long as you're on. <laughs> right. Seven Summits is one of his. I think they both work on games together a lot. Right. Uh, yeah, they both did Sagrada, Caffeine cool. Rush, The Walled City. But he has one coming out uh, that's a worker placement game for Elk Creek. Are you saying and he has elk? one coming out. Elk. Elk Creek. Is it not the same game? I'm saying Elf. Elf Creek. Maybe. Yeah. I was like, how could it be Elf and Elk? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Different, com- uh, oh, different so companies? You, oh, so you're looking at Elk Creek right now? Total thing? 
Uh, well, that's uh, one of his games coming out in 2021 is on Elk Creek. Okay. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm talking about Elf Creek. Elf Creek. Like the fantasy elf or the Will Ferrell Christmas elf. Yeah. Not sure which one. Hilarious. Could be. Uh, Elk Creek does Atlantis Rising. Oh, right. Very cool. Very cool. Oh, my God. It's Elf Creek. They, uh, the link on BGG says Elk. Oh. I wonder did they... But I can't get an Elk Creek uh, anywhere. So I wonder if there's just a typo on that one spot. <laughs> now we'll never know. It's a mystery. I have a feeling that it's just a typo. That it's there's not an Elk Creek Games as maybe well as they, an Elf Creek Games. Maybe they have to legally change their name. Which I stumbled upon this the other day and I'm, I'm really bizarre. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid that it's like a Berenstain Bears thing. You remember this Berenstain Bears thing, right? You know yeah, what whatever. About? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know. People think, "Oh my God, they we've fallen through a rift in space. We're now in an alternate universe," right. because I remember it being spelled a different way. Yes, exactly. It hurt my brain a couple of years ago when when people started talking about that. So we went to watch a movie the other night, and I I, I put on Disney Plus, and um, uh, in flicking through the movies, what I thought was Zootopia was there, but it's now titled Zootropolis. I didn't look it up, but then I was like, has it always been called Zootropolis or was it Zootopia? And am I, again, that I wake up in a parallel universe where something slight has changed and it's hurting my brain. Hmm. Anyways, side note, little uh, anecdote into my mental state of mind in quarantine. Is uh, That's, uh... no, I'm worried, Steve. Maybe we should go. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Next week on Everyday Veeple? No, no, sorry, I got nothing. Well, it would just be Meeple, <laughs> but it would be spelled M-E-A. Ah, there we go. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it was a slow game week for me, though. I didn't... <laughs> I really didn't get to play much, but uh, one thing that did happen for me, um, which is barely worth saying, but I'm going to say it anyways, I, I broke out tapestry because i really wanted to give tapestry a try again it was just rattling around in my brain i believe uh, it's I have... spelled tapestry oh my god i'm crumbling here <laughs> leave me be um anyways i broke it out i haven't played it in a couple months and i i was playing it it was taking me a little bit longer than usual i was playing a solo game uh, this is uh by the way stone stonemeyer games jamie stagmeyer's most recent release a civilization building game um We've talked about it a little bit before, but I just want to say for this reason that I was doing so well. I was just like, wow, I'm going to get the highest score that I've ever heard of. This is insane. I must be doing something wrong. I paused every now and again to kind of survey the board uh, to try to see what I was doing wrong. I was like, no, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm, I'm playing by the rules and I'm doing so well. Um, turns out by the time I got to the end of the game that I had... Uh, played my first tapestry card over the spot where you're not supposed to play one, giving myself a whole other era of uh, a whole other round of, of gameplay. Um, I played Which is for fine like, if you're that one civilization. Yeah, totally. But we you don't, weren't. You don't need fire. Um, oh, right. Yeah, if I was that. Yeah, I know what you're saying. But anyways, a little bit disappointing that I did that for two hours and did it Thought I was doing well and then realized I did it wrong. Well, Time. 
I'm really disappointed in you. And if anybody else is disappointed in Steve, they can send us an email. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> Feedback at everydaymeeple.com. Uh, Your disappointment with me, in me, with me. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> See you later, Steve. See you, Mitch. <laughs>